Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's been a, another fun, wild weekend of college basketball. Uh, some big bullet points. Auburn extended its winning streak to 17 games after Bruce Pearl Got a lucrative contract extension. Gonzaga beat up another West Coast Conference team. Baylor. Dropped to just 3-3 three and three in his past six games with a loss at Alabama. Rick Barnes lost by a point in his return to Texas. Jaden Ivey bombed Ohio State at the buzzer on Sunday. Nice win for Purdue. Providence snapped Marquette's seven-game winning streak. We're going to get to those things eventually. I promise. I think I promise. But I want to start with the happenings on Saturday inside Fog Allen Fieldhouse because the biggest win of the weekend uh, definitely belongs to the Kentucky Wildcats. One week after losing at Auburn, UK won at Kansas. Final score was Kentucky 80, Kansas 62. The Wildcats did not pay heed. Instead, they shot 50.8% from the field against KU's uh, just okay defense. That's been a problem all season. They led by as many as 24 uh, they never let Kansas get closer than 14 in the second half. It was a beatdown nearly uh, from start to finish. Deadleg, let's start here. What would you make of what Kentucky was able to do at Kansas this weekend? It just reinforced what I had written about the Wildcats a couple weeks back. Uh, their ceiling is national championship good. Uh, this this kind of win, the way that Kentucky got it, healthy Ty Ty Washington winds up playing in this game, a significant, you know, Turn of turn of developments there, and that was it. Obviously, lamented a lot. Even though Keon Brooks was the star, I mean, Keon Brooks had 27 points. Oscar Sheba went for 17 and 14. But if you saw Kentucky early, clearly they responded well to having Ty uh, Ty back in the mix there. Um, big time, big time stuff. Um, by the way, if you saw any of the pregame stuff, uh, these are the two winningest programs of all time. So now Kentucky's lead on Kansas uh, is four games, 2,344. Uh, to 2,340 Kansas over Kentucky over Kansas at this point. By the way, Kentucky all time didn't know if you realize this. GP, I saw this in the in the game notes. Kentucky leads the series against Kansas 24-10. These teams played 34 times. Kentucky's up 24-10. A little bit surprising there. I do have a trivia time for you. Bring it. All right. Let's see if you can get it within two years. All right. Kentucky wins at Fog Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday. It was 1986. Not bad. Last time Kentucky. One at Fog Allen Fieldhouse was 1983. Pretty close. I didn't even know the question. Pretty good. Pretty good. Good sense for it. So um, ESPN Stats and Info also had the uh, the anecdote that by winning by 18 points, it was the largest margin of victory uh, against a, a top five opponent on the road that Kentucky ever had. Never won by that many points against a top five team on the road. And Kentucky, meantime... Uh, has a 70 and 64 all-time record against AP top five opponents. That's regardless of venue and when the game is played. Uh, Kentucky and the City College of New York, five and zero all-time. Uh, only schools with 
winning records in their history against AP top five opponents all time. Kentucky just slightly more impressive there. Good, great stuff. And um, to me, it was more about Kentucky than Kansas GP. Uh, sure, like if you want to say this game also kind of flipped the player of the year race, I think that's fair. Uh, Ochai Abaji, I would have had going into the weekend and coming out. Oscar Shibway would be my national player of the year front runner. Abaji and Christian Brown had 13 points apiece, and, and Shibway played well for himself. But yeah, the result was more for me about Kentucky. Now, if you want to say Kansas, like David McCormick doesn't play well again, and you know, there are some certain shortcomings, I get that. That's that's fine and fair, but. Kentucky's just, it remains on that short list. I don't, I haven't shifted my opinion too much with this, but yeah, you know, three, top three, top four, most likely candidates to cut down the nets at the end of the season. You're Kentucky Wildcats, especially remember when healthy Ty Ty went down, they were leading against that. Auburn. I don't know if they would have won at Auburn GP, but Ty Ty went down, they were leading and he comes back and, uh, and they look, they look damn good. Well, one of the points I made in the top 25 and one is exactly what you just said. Like, if you look at Kentucky's just resume, um, without context, it's not top five resume in the country. But when you provide the context and then you take into account the computer numbers and then you just use your brain a little bit, it's this is a team that deserves to be uh, in the top five right now. I moved them up to three in the top 25 and one behind only Auburn and Gonzaga. They don't have the quad one wins or the quad two wins that some other schools in the top 10 have. They do have four losses, which is more than most schools I have in that range. But um, Two of their losses are games in which Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler um, weren't able to uh, finish the game. And I, I, you know, Ty Ty was not great or even good against Kansas. I mean, he was one of nine from the field, two points, five assists, 32 minutes, but he gave them 32 minutes. And that takes some of the burden off of, um, off of Severe Wheeler. It, it's, it's just, he, he, you know, I, rem- I remember the first game of the season, Champions Classic, Sevier played 38 minutes, and John Calipari after the game said, I can't play him that much. When Ty Ty's not available, I don't want to say you have no choice, but your options are limited. And the truth is, when those two are both together, they're really, really good. They're 14-2 and two right now in games in which Ty Ty Washington and Sevier Wheeler both start and both finish, 17-4 and four overall. Um, I, you know... You look at this Kentucky team and you try to figure out, okay, like there was an interesting quote from Bill Self heading into the game. And, um, you know, he 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 said that, you know, in college basketball, talent trumps experience. Like if you got to pick one or the other, you'd rather have talent than experience. But what you really want is talented experience. That's That's the key. And that's what Kentucky has. You know, they've got – um, multiple point guards. I mean, think about all the things you need to go win a national championship. Multiple point guard, multiple ball handlers on the court at the same time. They've got that. Um, shooting. They've got that. Depth. They've obviously got that. NBA talent. They've got that. Uh, a dominant big. They clearly got that. Bill had a really good quote about Oscar Shibway. He said, Oscar's stats don't show how good he is at rebounding. And his stats show that he's the best rebounder in the country, <laughs> which, which he is. He's number one in offensive rebounding percentage, number one in defensive rebounding percentage. He's awesome. And maybe at this point, the, the national player of the year. So, you know, Kentucky is super impressive. Um, and, and, you know, for them to go into Allen Fieldhouse and do what they did, super impressive. I, I know it wasn't as overwhelming as what Texas did to Kansas last season at Allen Fieldhouse. And that was Bill Self's worst loss ever inside that building. But the obvious difference, and 
my buddy John Rothstein pointed this out on Twitter. There were not, you know, fans were limited last season. Right. Um, nothing was limited on Saturday. That place was packed out. And um, Kentucky controlled it from start to finish. Kansas never really threatened them in the second half. If you want to be concerned about Kansas, and as I always uh, say, um, whatever Kansas's problems are, they're, they're, they're smaller than most people's. But this is not a good defensive team. And it showed up. It showed up all season and it showed up in this game. You know, Kentucky shot above 50 percent from the field. And it dropped Kansas down to 55th and adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. You know, Bill Self has never, in the Ken Palm era that spans 21 seasons, um, at Kansas, Bill Self has never had a team that rated this lowly uh, defensively. Um, they were 12th in adjusted defensive efficiency last season, and now they're 55th. So what's the difference? A lot of the same players. No Marcus Garrett, who was, you know, some people's national defensive player of the year last season. It looks like Losing Marcus Garrett means as much to Kansas defensively as losing Herb Jones means to Alabama uh, defensively. Um, I, I'm still a believer in this Kansas team, but uh, you know Kentucky has now got a blowout win over Tennessee, blowout win over Carolina, and a blowout win over Kansas on its resume. You know, I know it just counts as a quad one victory, but that's like a super quad one victory what they got on Saturday. Big time. It'll probably go down. Uh, it's probably a top five win of value. Uh, KPI actually measures that stuff. I hadn't checked before the podcast, but you get a road win against a team as good as Kansas. There's just not going to be many teams that have something that that good. So it could wind up meaning something if SEC uh, race gets tight and Kentucky's vying for the one line if it can compete with Auburn. Winning at Kansas will, will go a long way. Presuming Kansas still remains you know at or near the top of the big 12 obviously this was a non-league game so ku is 17 and 3 and 6 and 1 in the league as it resumes conference play later this week and by the way this is um among the reasons if you are trying to evaluate teams using the net uh system and quadrant one wins and quadrant two wins you got to dig in a little deeper than just so and so's 4-0 and quadrant one because what kentucky did yesterday based on the quadrant system is the same thing as winning at Ohio. Winning right, at Kansas. But, yeah, yeah. I, You're yeah, right. Like, just, just so people are aware of this. I know GP's aware. Some people might not be aware. There's the actual team sheets. And then when the committee actually convenes the week to do this thing, there are actually um, like top tier quad one victories in games that they also look at. Right. So that the quad one isn't as wide. Because, yes, it's, 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 a, it's a necessary context for I think the average college basketball fan to know, but also when you are trying to split the difference between what teams should and shouldn't be on the one line kind of deal, the the very top of your schedule and who you've played and how you've done against it is a very important context. Right, because sometimes I'll get tweets um, as, as they pertain to the top 25 and one from fans of schools, and they'll be like, we, we've got four quarter one wins. And then I go look at them, and I'm like, yeah, but I don't really see any great wins there. I mean, congratulations, it's better than having zero. But all, all quadrant one wins are not created equal. I think that's the biggest flaw with the net system is they've got to figure out a way for people who don't know a road win uh, over anybody in the top 75 of the net is considered a quad one win. So if you go win at Duke or Kansas right now, that's a quad one win. Also, if you go win at Ohio or Furman, it's a quad one win. Those things aren't the same thing, but they slot the same way. If you're just looking at it at a surface level and, um, that's why there's no official category, but I think we can reasonably label what Kentucky did uh, Saturday as a super duper quad one win. Would you define 
Kentucky's win at Kansas as the most high-profile win of the weekend, or would you define what Alabama did to Baylor as the most high-profile win of the weekend? Um, Clearly, to me, what Kentucky did at Kansas, because they didn't just win. They didn't just beat Kansas. They beat Kansas' brains in, and they did it inside Allen Fieldhouse. Like, the list of teams who have ever beat Bill Self's brains in at Allen Fieldhouse is, like, so small. And the game was not even competitive in the second half. Like you used, you were sort of wondering, like, is Kansas ever going to make a run? And the answer was no. They just, you know, and they cut it to 16, you know, and they got it to 14. And then it was just it. They couldn't get anywhere. Um, but clearly what Alabama did um, at uh, against Baylor, rather, was impressive. And you wrote about this. So I'll let you handle the bulk of this. Um, but, you know, Baylor comes in now three and three and it's past six. So they came in. Uh, you know, three and two in the previous five, they've hit some bumps, uh, but we can't be surprised by that result. I was surprised that Kentucky pounded Kansas. Nothing surprising. Once you hear Ty Ty Washington's playing, can Kentucky win at Kansas? Sure, they can win, but like pound them. I didn't expect that. That was surprising. Uh, nothing surprising about Alabama beating Baylor, if only because this is what Alabama's been doing all season, beating teams like uh, Baylor, Gonzaga. Houston, and then losing to teams like Iona, Missouri, Georgia, Memphis. What a, it's not just the wackiest resume in the country right now. It's like one of the wackiest ones I can remember. It's, it's up there. Um, (laughs) Alabama no longer, I think, has the capacity to surprise, but it will continually, it is fated for the rest of the season uh to carry the capacity to thrill us no matter what um now now how you we talk about quad one wins not all being equal alabama it's not it's top end it's not just right. that it's five and one against ranked teams alabama's five wins have come across have come against teams ranked in the top 15 of the ap top 25 two of those wins top five opponents gonzaga and baylor Houston now ranks as a top five in, in multiple metrics. Last time Alabama did this, won two games against AP top five teams. That was 2003-2004, um, which also technically included Bama upsetting number one seeded Stanford in the NCAA tournament. But yeah, Alabama, I do have a column uh, on CBSSports.com or on the CBS Sports app uh, that you can uh, check out. Not if we could be so kind to toss that in the podcast uh, description. People can read it as they listen if they so choose. By the way, hello, YouTube, if you have not already. Hey, hey YouTube. Hit hey, the like YouTube. Button. Hit the like button. Hey, um, YouTube. Hey, there. We are your halftime entertainment if you're watching live. And not a, we'll even have a little bit of video and just a little bit here. We're going to show a CBS highlight. But as for Baylor, Alabama. Alabama shot 22 of 28 from two-point range in this game. 78.6%. 42 of the team's 87 points came in the paint. Javon Quinley had Javon Quinley had 20 parish. Uh, Jaden Shackelford had 19. Uh, something I didn't realize until I wrote on this game. that They are the top scoring duo in the SEC. Then you had Juwan Gary, who had 15. He had missed the previous two games. He had that badass mask. J.D. Davidson had 14. So Alabama was just, they kept coming in bursts, essentially. And, yeah, they're fun. They're mercurial. I think, as I wrote, they're just the perfect team for March. They have, they can make the Final Four. They can get knocked in the first round. Um, but I think Tide fans might have had a little bit of a good feeling, not just because of who they had beaten earlier this season. Alabama's actually 8-2 and two all time against Baylor. So the program itself has actually done uh, done quite well. But, yes, they were able to have big plays, shoot well, um, 
Alabama went on a 14-2 run uh, that got them up basically by like 13 points uh, into the second half. And then there was enough there because Baylor kept making like good pushes and Alabama had response after response after response. So um, what do you want to say? Like fun team. Oates said in the in the post game that they actually considered the Georgia game a must win because of what's upcoming, and I can get into that a little bit more when we preview uh, the Monday and Tuesday games. But how about this for Alabama? Now this I can't ever remember seeing. Not that I've went and hunted for it. So as of Sunday, here's Alabama in the metrics: fifth in KPI resume based, twenty seventh in strength of record resume based. So their greatest discrepancies are two uh, metrics that are cut from the same cloth, so to speak. Fifth and KPI, 27th and strength of record, and then everything in between are your predictives. 18th at Ken Palm, 19th in BPI, 22nd in Sagarin, 23rd in the net, 24th in Torvik. Alabama is a capable team. They are unpredictable, going to take more losses, and my main takeaway in the, in the column was you just need to accept the fact no matter what you do with this team and how you predict it to do in your bracket, it's probably going to burn you. If you think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take Alabama to be that first or second round upset, watch it go on and then just scoot to the final four. If you think, I'm going to actually go against the trends, I'm going to say this team's going to continue to play well, Pick it into the Elite Eight, going to get knocked off in the first round. There's always a team or two. We all have those teams that we have those relationships with when we get to the NCAA tournament. Alabama just seems fated to be one of those teams. If they are absolutely rolling, that's a great thing. They are not a great three-point shooting team, which ultimately weirdly could be their downfall because they're not against shooting threes. They're just not a good three-point shooting team. So Bama was my bigger story, but you did knock. Uh, I'll toss it right back to you here, GP. Baylor started 15-0. Now three and three. I still believe in the Bears. I'm, I don't think I don't really take too much off them uh, in losing this game. Even Jeremy Sohan like had some big time moments. Akinjo played 32 minutes, but to me, Bama was the bigger story because it's developing. Just yes, maybe the weirdest resume in college hoops. Um, not only are they not against shooting threes, they want to shoot a bunch. I mean, that is the style of play that they practice with and and they take to the court for better or worse. And to me, um, there's nothing simple, you know, when you're trying to explain how can you, you know, because I got asked this on radio um, a few weeks back, like how can you beat Gonzaga in Houston and lose to Missouri and Georgia? And I'm like, I don't have a great answer for that. But the, the, the you know, the, the best obvious explanation is the style of play that they're committed to. You know, they're, they're going to shoot, you know, around 47% of their shots from three-point range. I think it's 46.5, which ranks top 25 nationally. Um, but they're terrible <laughs> at shooting threes. They shoot 31% from three. They, they rank 285th in the country. So they're going to shoot them, but they don't make them. Um, so when you when you're gonna when you're committed to taking roughly half your shots from three and you're you're not and you don't shoot them well, you're susceptible to anybody. On the other hand, um, when they make them, because they're gonna take them. By the way, this is why you see so many like weird results in the NBA. Like, oh wow, the Magic just beat the Suns. What happened? Because they're everybody's taking threes now. And when somebody makes them, I don't care how bad they are. Uh, you know, somebody dumps in forty eight percent of their three pointers. And they're taking, you know, 45% of their shots from three. They, you're going to have a hard time with that. So when Alabama makes them, um, they're capable of beating anybody. Although it should be noted, that is not like the the most – that is not the explanation for every big win they have. Um, they, they shot well from three against Gonzaga, you know, 13 of 34. Um, but they were only seven of 18 from three against Houston. 
Um, that's a good percentage, but it's not a lot of of attempts. Um, against Baylor, they were 33.3% from three, so that's not great. It's better than their average. What is true is when they get these big wins, they, they shoot better than their average. What's interesting is that they're terrific from two-point range. Um, you know, they were 22 of 28 from two yeah. against Baylor. 22 of 28 from two. Um, and, I mean, that's 78.6% from, you know, inside the arc. Um, last season, they only shot 50.7% inside the arc. Um, this season, it's 57.6, which ranks six nationally. So um, they can beat you from three when they make them, but they're going to really get you inside the arc. Um, and then, they, you know, they're a good offensive rebounding team. They don't guard like they guarded last season, just like Kansas doesn't guard like they guarded last It's just a lot of weird, a lot of interesting statistical stuff uh, connected to them. And, you know, the resume is wild. I, you know, I, I put them 26 in the top 25 and one this morning. Just got, I didn't know what to do with them. I mean, they got such big wins. They got horrific losses. They do have strong computer numbers. I just said, you can be the and one and we'll, we'll see where we're at, you know, after the next time you play. I think that's, that's probably fair. Uh, and I will get to Alabama and what it's got coming uh, when we talk about what they, they got to, a juicy Tuesday game, but we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Um, you, you, you were, uh, can I, can I take, uh, before we whip around the weekend here, can I just uh, wax poetic on what we had Sunday before these football games tipped off here? Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, of course. All right, let me roll, because before we kind of bounce around, um, Purdue-Ohio State got so nutty at the end that um, that I just, I got to give the Boiler Americans and, and Buckeyes some love here. So uh, Purdue wins. It wins on a Jaden Ivey near buzzer beater to still time left on the clock. If you are watching on YouTube, this was a CBS game. So hey, as YouTube. I, as, as I understand it, uh, hey, we are doing this video. So not, this is what, it, if you're watching on YouTube, this is what it looked like. If you're listening, obviously, this is what it sounded like when Jaden Ivey beat the Buckeyes in the final second to give Purdue the win. Cue it up, Nada. Puts it on the deck down to four seconds. Hunter in the corner. Ivey for the win. He got it! He got it! <laughs> Phenomenal. Now, what I love about that, I'll get to the game in a second, but Parrish, the sound of that net, listen to this again. I got, I got it all queued up. For the win! How great is that? And then listen, I like snap. I like snap in the net. That snap of the net, and then listen to Raph real quick here. <laughs> I love Raph. Oh, what it is a 
uh, plenty of people listening obviously saw the shot in real time, if not saw the highlight. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous buzzer beater. Now, Purdue collapsed, okay? They were up 20! Not good. Not good at all. And, and both these teams have defensive issues here. Purdue shot 47% from three. The eighth and final one was the was the clincher. Uh, they overcame 58% foul shooting. Um, by the way, Ivy, I saw this uh, drop into my timeline. I'd forgotten about this. I forgot that I knew it. He beat Ohio State on the road last year with a three-pointer in the closing seconds. So OSU fans have seen enough of this dude and are absolutely ready for him to go on to the uh, to the NBA. And then per synergy stats, Jaden Ivey has shot an effective field goal percentage this season of 70% when coming off of screens and 75%. This is a joke of a stat. Jaden Ivey is shooting 75% in guarded catch and shoot situations this season that's a flat out joke you want to there are many reasons why he will rightfully be in the conversation to go top five 75 percent in guarded catch and shoot situations that's Jaden Ivey shooting percentage this season it's insane so that was reflected in his guarded catch and shoot fade away fall back into the bench beat Ohio State but yeah Purdue GP they led 52 32 at one point you know they only forced eight turnovers for Ohio State for the entire game credit to EJ Liddell he hit a big three to even get at that point after Kyle Young stole the inbound pass Malachi Branham also had 20 I've got a game high 21 Zach Eady had 20 in 21 minutes Travion Williams had nine points in 19 minutes but yeah like Ohio State was able to crawl back because it was almost at 1.2 points per possession and as I said on CBS Sports HQ in the postgame hit, uh, I'm not going to be able to shake myself off of Purdue. That's that's just going to be one of the uh, – the Purdue offense is going to be one of the <laughs> – they're going to be one of the drugs I can't quit this season because they're that good. They're that fun. You saw why there. But defensively, yeah, like can this team actually sustain this? I know we're going to talk about this again multiple times before we get to the tournament and when we do our huge tournament pod, when we know the field of 68, this will be a talking point unless they've changed it since then. Purdue is just not – reliable on the defensive end to the point where it it could very well hamper this team from getting to the final four 87th in defensive efficiency as we talk here and they're the number one offense can they outshoot their opponents on the way to get new orleans i don't know but uh that was a huge win to even keep purdue in the in the big 10 chase as i volley it back to you real quick the standings right now Illinois and Wisconsin and Michigan State have two losses, and then Purdue and Ohio State now three losses in the five-way chase in the Big Ten. Well, you got to remember, and listen, I I really like Purdue too, and I would like, you know, ultimately who's at the Final Four doesn't have much impact on my life, but for those Purdue fans and for Matt, I would love to see Purdue get to the Final Four. It's such a passionate fan base, and Matt's you know, anybody puts together those weird list of best coaches to never get there. Like Matt's on that. Um, he could remove himself. This team, I, I think, is capable of doing it. But don't ever forget, last season, we talked about Iowa all season long. All season long. And it was like, can Luca Garza get Iowa to the Final Four? Uh, is the defense good enough to get him there? Because history said it wasn't. They were third in offensive efficiency and 75th in defensive efficiency. And all year long, the narrative connected to them was probably can't get there. History says they won't. The defense isn't strong enough. Purdue's 87th in adjusted wow. defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. It doesn't feel like Purdue is a worse defensive team than last season's Iowa team because Iowa sort of has that connected to them based on a, whatever factors. But 
this team, Purdue team, is ranked lower in adjusted defensive efficiency than that Iowa team was. And as you know, as you remember, um, early exit in the 2021 NCAA tournament, they got bombed and eliminated, and that was that. Other big game from Sunday that I want to hit on before we do the whip around on Saturday was Providence Marquette, which played uh, another great one. Just uh, These are the two most relevant games, and they both were extremely watchable. Even though Purdue had distanced itself, Ohio State made it watchable late. Um, so uh, this was the 600th win for Providence in the history of the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Trivia time. Okay. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. What year did the Dunkin' Donuts 86. Dunkin' Donuts Center did not open in 86. It used to be the Providence Civic Center, but it dates back to 72. Like, I don't, in my mind, I had this thing being built in like the early 1990s, man. Like, I, I don't know. So 600 I've, I've been to the Dunkin' Donuts Center. You've been to the Dunkin' Donuts Center? I have, yes, multiple times. Seen, seen concerts there, seen money a game. Yes, absolutely. And it is, uh, listen, it's, it's a rowdy house and it was just a great, great watch. Like Purdue, Ohio State ends, then you turn, there's like four minutes to go with this one. You can focus all your attention in and Providence gets a come from behind win. 18 and two. For the first time since 76-77, Providence is now 8-1 in the league. Never started the Big East 8-1 in a season. Uh, just incredible. Um, Marquette's win streak that's now over had started, as I mentioned, I believe, on the Friday podcast with a that big-time beatdown back in Milwaukee against PC at the start of the month. So they bookend the month uh, with games against Providence. One win, one loss. Justin Lewis in this game, he was held in check. 13 and six on four, 12 shooting five turnovers in 36 minutes. That wasn't the only factor. It was a significant factor. Nate Watson, though, he did not play well in Providence is kind of by the skin of their teeth win against Xavier on Wednesday. This is the radio call from Learfield IMG for, uh, for the hometown friars. What happens here is Noah Horkler misses a three from the corner. And then Nate Watson goes up in traffic, double team foul dunks it. And one, here's the call. Right to the rim, left corner, Horkler for three. Oh, it's in and out. My goodness, a foul on the floor. Go to Watson. He and he gets fouled. Home, and he gets fouled. Holy <laughs> moly. <laughs> foul is cold on Morsell. That's a big man move right there, boy. He went up there and took three guys and dunked them in the basket. As he makes the shot, he gets to go to the line for a three-point play. Just more phenomenal. <laughs> Watson, by the way, would go on to make that foul shot, help give a little bit of separation for the Friars uh, down the stretch. We obviously talked about these teams heavily on on Friday's pod. So if uh, for whatever reason you decided not to listen to that one, but are listening to this one, we dedicated plenty of time to Marquette and Providence. Go back and be sure to listen to that. But yeah, Watson had 17 on seven to 10 shooting, just a uh, big time stuff there. And Providence will play at St. John's on Tuesday. Justin Manaya, by the way, is a menacing defender. I know Friar fans know this. I don't think he's really known nationally just yet. In fact, I don't think he was on, he was on my preseason Midseason, if you will, top 15 defensive player of the year list. I have to vote for that. He didn't make it along with uh, uh, Brad Underwood was talking, uh, Trent Frazier. Those were like the two glaring omissions as far as I was concerned. He had another really, really good game there. So good on Providence, which leads the Big East, only team with one loss. And that was a, a nice little double dip on Sunday. Marquette, you know, nice win streak. Had to come. You were just, it was a just a ridiculous stretch there that uh, you were going up with those opponents. But uh, Friars and Ed Cooley, man, again, they are streaking toward. I feel like they're still not a national story. Maybe a win like this gets them there. Like they're going to maybe t- jump in the top 15 of the polls. Um, I know you haven't decided yet where you're going to put them, but I'm going to blindly say Paris that given what they've done now, I-, I feel blindly again, I like to get informed on this pod by you telling me where you have it ranked. So I don't get spoiled. I'm going to say that you have PC 
13th heading into Sunday, which means they should be top 10 on Monday. Am I kind of in the right, uh, right shirt, Tron Pew kind of situation there? I had them 15th. Um, heading, I had them 15th in Sunday mornings, top 25 and one. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I, and let, listen, rankings can be uh, subjective. There's different philosophies. As long as the way you do it makes some sense, I'm cool with it. Um, I, me personally, I don't usually jump somebody ahead of a bunch of teams for winning a game they were supposed to win. Like, hey, yeah, okay, you, you won a home game against Marquette. You should have. Um, you were favored in the game. You're the higher-ranked team. Um, but, you know, I'll do what I do every morning, which is wake up and take a fresh look at it and see what I think's right and what I think's wrong. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if Providence is a national story, but, like, we have talked about Providence a lot um, this season. And this is, I'm told, a national podcast. So, That's right. No, yeah. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't, maybe this win actually people really start to, because again, lowly rated in the metrics and it, they had what it meant, amounted to quasi standalone finish there and uh, good stuff. So, I just wanted to, uh, to kind of give a little standalone time to those teams before we recap plenty of other stuff on Saturday. I'm going to go turn on the light here in my office. The sun is fading on me and I don't want to look like a vampire. So, uh, why don't you, uh, Peel off some results, and I'll be back in like nine seconds. Well, there's two other um, SEC Big 12 challenge games that I thought were interesting on Saturday. Um, one was the number one team in the country, Auburn, um, beating Oklahoma, and no surprise, extending its winning streak to 17 games, as expected. Uh, but it comes less than 24 hours after Bruce Pearl and Auburn announced the new contract. We had said on guess it was Friday's podcast that we thought when we get done in the coming weeks or months or it was it turned out coming hours. <laughs> they, got, they got this thing wrapped up quickly. Um, eight years, $50.2 million, which is an average of $6.3 million over the life of the contract. Bruce is 61. So this will take him to 69. Eight I years him to 70 because he's going to be 62 in March. And I think the contract ends like at the end of that season. So I actually okay. think he will be 70 if that's when, if, if it all lines up and he wants to step okay. away. Yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, eight years, $50.2 million. Good for him. How about that? Ever, ever think, ever think you'd actually see the day where the men's basketball coach at Auburn is paid more than the football coach. Cause that is factually true. As we speak right now, Auburn well, is paying its men's basketball coach more than his football coach. Yeah. And if the football coach ever does what the basketball coach is doing, uh, that'll get flipped right back around. Um, oh, I know. I, know. No, I mean, we live in a world where um, like those types of things used to be like, you would hear stuff like, well, you can't pay the basketball coach at this school more than the football coach or, you know, you can't pay the football coach at Kentucky more than the basketball coach at Kentucky. You know, you would hear these things. And now it's like, first off, everybody's just getting paid nonstop. But you pay, you do what you got to do. And I, that that is not meant to imply Auburn had to do this. I don't think it did. <laughs> but um, there is something to be said for making your awesome coach feel appreciated, not making him resent you. Like if Bruce is like, I built this from nothing. I've got it the number one in the country. I'm doing the job and brilliantly in every way you can do the job. And um, I, I deserve to have a John Calipari-like contract. You want me to compete with John Calipari? I should get paid more like John Calipari. And maybe you don't have to do it. And this is where 
I, I think sometimes the conversations get a little complicated because you'll, you know, I, and I've actually had these conversations with athletic directors and other people who run businesses who hire and fire people for a living. And, and let me be more specific, hire and fire talented people for a living, people that would be called talents, right? Um, say, okay, do you really got to pay this money to keep this person? You could just say no, because I don't think they're going anywhere. Well, what if Louisville comes after him? I don't think Louisville is. Well, what if they do? Well, I don't think he wants to go to Louisville. Like you could play those hardball games as a as a employer if you want to, but then what do you end up with? A resentful coach? Like if you've got an amazing employee who's doing the job better than anybody could reasonably expect it, don't you want him to feel good about where he's at? Not feel like maybe I should have looked around. Maybe I should have seen seen if I could have. If I could get involved at Louisville, you don't want anybody. You've got an awesome employee. You want them feeling appreciated, but more than that, um, you don't want them feeling resentful. You don't ever want Bruce Pearl wondering if he's at the right place. You want to always make him feel like he is. And this is the type of contract that, 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 that gets you there. And uh, you know, this is always another important thing to remember. There's no salary cap in college basketball when it comes to paying your coaches, like, you know, you know who's paying that contract? Uh, like maybe four super rich guys mm. who love Auburn. That's the way that comes down to it. It's, it's not your money. It's not my money. And it's not coming out of some fund that would otherwise be used on a library. You get four or five rich, super rich people who care deeply about Bruce Pearl and Auburn basketball. And they say, now let's get done whatever we got to get done. And this is the result of it. And, you know, you just think I always assumed Bruce Pearl was going to get back in coaching after he was, you know, dealt a three-year show cause. He was out of college basketball for three years. I always assumed he would get back in. You know, like he took a job, like a real, like, business-type job for a little yeah. while. Like, yeah, you remember I that? I, did. I, I do because I think – well, two things sprung to mind uh, as we actually did an HQ breaking news hit on this Friday night, and we didn't talk about this on the HQ hit, but – Two things sprung to mind. Yes, because I think I I think I either did a story about Bruce Pearl doing this or we talked about it and then I never did it. But it was and I can't remember. But he like he literally had a nine to five job. Like I remember <laughs> him calling me once in the middle of his work day. And he's like and then like when it wrapped, he's like, yeah, I got to hop on the sales call kind of deal. It's now I think I, I don't I, I don't remember the specifics. I, my recollection of it, it was like some I could be making this up. Uh, I, I'm, I'm acknowledging I don't remember the specific. But what I kind of think I remember is like it was some wealthy Tennessee booster who gave him a job. But it was like a real job. He had to do something. Like yeah. I I remember talking to him one time and he was like, "Yeah, I got to make a drive to Chattanooga tomorrow." You know, it was like he, he had a real job. And um, I always assumed he would get back in, um, but. I always assumed it would have to be a bottom tier power five job at best that would bring him back. And that is what Auburn was. Mm -hmm. And now it's not. Now it's the, one of the top basketball programs in the country, incredible facilities, great fan base. And they're ranked number one in the country on a 17 game winning streak. I specifically remember going to a Manhattan Iona game, whenever this would have been 2013, 2012, 2014, in like the middle of February and it's on maybe ESPNU on a Friday. And I don't even, it was something like that. And Bruce Pearl's the color analyst. And like yeah. we're talking before the game, we're talking at halftime and it like, that is a universe away from where he is now, man. It's just like, he, he was getting, he was getting Mac play-by-play -play duties <laughs> on like a Friday night. Well, like now he's, he's the fourth, I think he's the fourth according to USA Today database. I believe it's Cal, the highest paid, Krzyzewski, Although who really knows Duke's private? Uh, Jay Wright, 
I think now Bruce Pearl's number four, and I think he narrowly passed. I think Chris Beard is now the fifth highest men's basketball yeah. coach. Yeah, Duke is private, so I don't think you ever know exactly. I was just told this one time by somebody who would know. Nobody makes more than Mike Krzyzewski. They just said yeah. that. They just I, said that. They just said that plainly. Like yes. whatever numbers you hear, just understand the highest paid basketball coach at the collegiate level is Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah, agreed. And, USA Today reported in 2021 it was Cal then K, but I that's they're probably parameters, or whatever. But I we agree with that, yes. Right? Yeah. They, somebody, I was told nobody makes more than him. Period. And if somebody ever got to a point where it looked like they might make more than him, they would fix that. Mike Krzyzewski is the highest paid coach in college basketball. Uh, but I don't know. You go back to the day, you know, those guys got fired, the whole staff at Tennessee, um, where their lives were there and contrast them with where they are now. And like, boy, how far did it feel away from that? Um, you know, Bruce knew he was going to be out for a while. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario is like, do I ever get a real job again? What if I had told him on the day he got fired? Hey, relax. Someday you'll get an eight year, $50.2 million contract. Woo. Meantime, Steve Forbes. Yeah. And the, you'll be coaching in the sec and have the number one team in the country. And it won't be at Tennessee, by the way. Like, yeah, <laughs> just, wow. And then like, you know, Steve Forbes um, was on that staff and had his whole life turned upside down. I mean, I went to Northwest Florida the year after they got fired. Cause like they had show causes. They couldn't coach in NCAA. So they went Juco Forbes, Jason Shea, two of the three assistant coaches on that staff. And they were making nothing. I mean, I, 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 I shouldn't say that cause there's like, they were, they were, they had, a, they were making a, nothing compared to what they were making. Um, Jason Shea and his family were living in like housing on campus. I mean, these are people who lived in big houses in Knoxville and were making, you know, really good money as SEC assistant coaches. Um, I can remember talking to Forbes one time and he was like, my house is probably going to go into foreclosure. Like, you know, we can no longer afford that house in Knoxville and they couldn't sell it. Um, not to get too inside the baseball here, but like, I think I've, I've written this before. But Forbes, and this speaks to um, how decent of a man is the person I'm about to say is, Forbes said he got a phone call one time. It was Buzz Williams. And Buzz said, let me cover your mortgage until you, you can cover it. I'll handle it. And Forbes said, you know, he, he uh, said, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I don't want to do that. But like Buzz called him out of the blue and said, I, I'll, I'll cover your mortgage until you get back on your feet. But there was no guarantee they'd ever get back on their feet. I mean, at that point, Forbes had never been a Division One coach. And now he's, you know, making multiple million a year at Wake Forest. Shea's on staff with him there after, you know, being the head coach at East Tennessee State. Like, it's largely worked out incredibly well for all those guys. And on the day it all went down, um, it wasn't obvious that it would. Speaking of uh, Tennessee, I'll kind of nudge us right back into here. Uh, weekend results to talk about. So Texas, I think this is the most notable game we haven't gotten to yet. Texas-Tennessee, Saturday night largely unwatchable texas was up 49 to 32 with eight minutes to go in the game tennessee goes on a 17-0 run uh, the game gets tied at 51 with a minute and change to go um and timmy allen hits one or two foul shots and they they barely win so texas barely wins by the way it was the first sellout that's a hard building to sell out texas is gonna have a new joint next season uh, this one is just too big and so finally frank Irwin centers uh no more uh, but it was the first sellout in that building since February of 2016 
when Texas played then number one Kansas. So Rick Barnes comes back. They fill the joint up. I think that's really, really cool. They got a close game. Wasn't cosmetically the best thing out there. By the way, Texas is allowing 54 and a half points a game. That's actually the lowest in men's D1 GP. Horns, though, are ranked 11th in defensive efficiency. So there is a little bit of a discrepancy there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I just, as we kind of tour around, that one was the um, the game that I thought was most notable of ones we haven't gotten to. So yeah, well, um, I, I don't care much about the game. Like, um, we had, and, and by the way, one of the reasons Texas' uh, deep points per game allowed is so low, it's tempo. You know, they, they're they yeah. 349th in the country in, in a, uh, adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm. So they're like, <laughs> I am I haven't looked. Let me just see if, if things still stay the same. Where are you at, Virginia? Where is Virginia at? Let's you see. They lost over the weekend again. Of course they did. Yeah. Uh, let's see where. Where is Virginia? Is Virginia is um, east of West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there. I've been there. Okay, let me just – I'm scrolling that way. It's not working. Let me try this over here. I want to confirm that Virginia is playing at the slowest tempo just like always. Come on, Virginia. Don't let me down. Be at the be at the bottom. Be worse than Texas. 358. There we are. You're Virginia Cavaliers. That was a good – Whether they're great or not great, you can always count on them. They are slow. Yeah. To be slow. Um, we had company on Saturday night. So we all sitting around while we had Tennessee, Texas on. And then um, everyone, you know, everyone, everyone, everyone crowded around the TV for that one, my man. It, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes. It was, <laughs> hey, yeah. That's my kind of party then, but that's a little surprise. Yeah. No, it was like, um, it was like, what's the biggest game on right now? And I said, Tennessee, Texas. Okay. Well, let's turn that on. And so we turned it on. And then it got, at, you know, it got lopsided a little bit, or at least it appeared that way. And then, like, you know, we start having conversations and stuff. And then I look up at one point and I'm like, whoa, how did this get close? So, uh, you know, then I go back and look and figure it out. But I, I, Took my eyes off of it for a minute. Got a little distracted because I felt like uh, that game was at a place where it was fine enough to get distracted. But um, Tennessee came back and, and made it competitive at the end. Uh, what I thought was just like really nice to see um, was the night before. Um, yeah. the, universe, the, the There was a fireside chat. Chris Beard does these things. Um, you and I both sat with Chris. I don't know if he comes across this way to the general public, but like he's he's a funny guy. He's like a really funny guy and an incredible storyteller. Like we said, we sat around one night and he was telling stories and like, like a lot of people have good stories. Not everybody knows how to tell them. Well, he's a, he's a guy who's got great stories and he's a really gifted storyteller. And so these fireside chats that he does, I think shows a little bit, just like a sprinkle of that. And um, he had Rick Barnes on. So it's Rick and Chris and they sit in front of a fire. And um, it's only like four minutes and it's not, uh, you know, there's nothing, you know, there's not like a big pullout quote from it, but just the way Chris as the current Texas coach went out of his way to make the former Texas coach feel welcome and wanted. Remember Rick Barnes got fired. This wasn't like a mutual agreement or, Hey, I think I want to go coach at Tennessee or ready to, you know, shift things up. He got fired. And they, they didn't want him anymore. They, they said, we could find somebody better to do this job after 16 NCAA tournament appearances in 17 years. And 
time has passed and Rick's done fine at Tennessee. So like whatever bitterness or resentment might've been there seems to have totally disappeared, but still Chris didn't have to do what he did. Um, you don't see current coaches too often um, go out of their way to make former coaches who were there like not too long ago feel as awesome as Chris tried to make Rick feel. Um, especially when you're getting ready to compete against the guy tomorrow. And, um, I, you know, I don't know. I never saw John Calipari and Rick Pitino do a fireside chat before a Kentucky Louisville game, you know? And um, I just thought it was, I thought it was sweet. Uh, maybe that's the, not the perfect word, but that's when I watched it, I was like, this is sweet. I'm glad Rick's getting to enjoy this because he put in a lot of time there. And, uh, you know, he spent a good portion of his life there. And for him to be recognized before the game, for the crowd to give him that ovation, for the crowd to show up and give him that ovation, and for Chris to want to be a part of it, not just allow it to happen, but let me be a part of it. You know, when I talked to Chris not long after he got the Texas job, he said that he had reached out to Shaka and, and kept in touch with Shaka. He was like, Shaka's left me in a good place here. You know, that should not be taken for granted. People need to appreciate that. I appreciate it. Um, he said he had reached out to Rick. Um, he, you know, I, I think the hashtag, there's some hashtag unite something. And he's really into that. He really wants Texas basketball to include everything that has ever touched Texas basketball. Rick Barnes, Kevin Durant, Shaka Smart, you name it. And um, he makes it a priority. And I thought that video showed that. And the way Texas handled that on Saturday, I thought was was really classy. And 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 uh, and Rick deserved it. Agreed. A uh, couple of results just to briefly hit on before we talk about uh, there's a couple of games. Actually, I want to just dedicate a little bit of time to Monday and Tuesday to prepare the listeners if you are unaware. So on Saturday, TCU got to 14 and four beat LSU Horn Frogs moving into the NCAA tournament picture with this win. Uh, LSU is going to spiral out of the top 25 after starting 15 and one and being 15 and one less than two weeks ago. The eight bid. Big 12 is still a, a potential thing. Xavier came back, beat Creighton on the road. Um, it went on a 19-0 run that turned into a 29-2 run in the second half. And, wow, uh, we might look back and say this is the game that uh, kept the Jays out of the NCAA tournament. They're obviously a bubble team at best at this point. Xavier, I thought, got an important win for its resume. Chris, uh, Chris, I almost said Chris Mack. Travis Steele was coaching the Xavier Musketeers in this game. Afterward, on Fox Sports 1, he had a great quote. He said, the most overrated thing in sports is the halftime score. X was down by 17, came back in a big way and got the win. Good for them. Michigan State had a well-rounded game against Michigan on CBS. Max Christie was 16. Malik Hall at 15. A.J. Hogard, 11 and 10. Good for Sparty. Arkansas seems to have gotten it back together. Hogs have now won six consecutive, while West Virginia has dropped five in a row. Illinois got a fun push and actually a pretty watchable low-scoring game on the road against Northwestern GP, but Illinois did win 59-56, thanks to, in large part, 22 and nine from Kofi uh, UCLA did not have Johnny Juzang for a second consecutive game due to COVID protocols. Didn't matter. 66 to 43 against the tree. Stanford goes down there. And then something to keep an eye on VCU was 10 and six less than two weeks ago, ranked outside the top 65 in every uh, predictive metric, but it's past two wins by a combined four points have come on the road against Davidson and Richmond, two huge rivals for them in the A-10. Now, VCU gets three consecutive games at home. I don't know if the Rams are going to make the NCAA tournament, uh, but the door is narrowly ajar at this point. I actually thought that was important for them and for the A-10. Got a couple thoughts on Duke over Louisville, but I was going to tie those to the Duke game on Monday night. Anything else from Saturday you want to uh, hit on, or you want to look ahead to what we got on Monday? 
I think let's look ahead. I'm looking at the clock. The idea of maybe getting this done in less than an hour is appealing to me. I agree. I agree with you. And I'm, although I'm watching on Paramount Plus, so I think I'm about 60 seconds behind the live stream as we are watching. Hello again to YouTube. If you're not, hey YouTube, hey YouTube. I'm gonna try and wrap this because if uh, hey, Cincy, I got Cincy with the ball on the 30, and Burrow drops back. He throws to Chase at the 10. He's down to the five. It's gonna be first and goal with a minute 25 to go in the third quarter. Games on CBS. Hello. Okay. America's most watched network. It's the That's network of stars. That's absolutely. Hey, hey YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, don't disappoint me. Smash that like button. Seriously, you're already sitting here. Just log in smash it. and smash it. Brandon Davies would do it. There we Brand go. Brandon Davies would do it. He risked a final four trip just to smash. You don't risk anything. Smash it, please. Pretend you're, uh, pretend you're Jaden Ivey doing this. This is what this is what the, the button will sound like when, when you smash it. For the win. Right there. Oh, God. That's just uh, one more time for me, please. Hmm. Don't tell me that's not the best net rip you've heard in a good day, in a good day, good year, good month. Okay, Monday, Duke Notre Dame seven Eastern. Now, AJ Griffin was absurd. The Duke Louisville game was a noon tip on Saturday, and it was intriguing because Mike Pegues was coaching the Cardinals, and Louisville actually showed itself uh, relatively well. Griffin, twenty-two points, eight of thirteen from the field, five of five from three. According to Duke, he was the first player in Blue Devils men's basketball history to shoot a hundred percent from three with at least five attempts in a game. No one had ever done that as a Duke freshman. A.J. Griffin just did it. By the way, Mark Williams had 14 and 11. Apollo Bancaro had 11 and a career-high 15 rebounds. Bancaro has set his personal record for career-high in rebounding, at, obviously, at the college level in three of the past four games for Duke. He had 12 against FSU, 13 against Syracuse, 15 against Louisville. So Duke is really coming into its own, but... GP. Well, let me let me ask you that. Never mind. Yeah. I'm gonna try, we're gonna try, let's just try to keep it under an hour. We can talk about whatever let's I was gonna. Oh, I love you. Um, Notre Dame, though, blazing under the radar. Okay, they get a high-profile game on Monday night, so that blazing is about to end here. Mike Bray's team has lost once since December 18th. Ten and one in that stretch. Started the season four and five. Now it's had to shovel its way out of that hole to get into the NCAA tournament picture. But a win over Duke, by the way, touchdown Bengals, a win over Duke, I think would put the Irish into the field for the time being. That's a seven o'clock tip. I can keep rolling or you can comment on it. Go ahead. I got nothing to say. Okay. Other games to know on Monday night. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm done, by the way. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Then I'm rolling. I'm rolling here because we got ourselves a football game. All right. Uh, significant mouse Mountain West tip. This is a reschedule Monday night, Colorado State, Wyoming. Rams got run out of their own gym on Friday by a 12 and 9 UNLV team. What are we doing, Colorado State? That was super bizarre. Maybe the weirdest result of the entire weekend. Wyoming. No, well, BYU. You know what? You're right. I don't have that in my notes. You're right. BYU lost. Pacific had not won in like two months. And BYU <laughs> lost against Pacific. Forbid WCC is actually, uh, we'll get to that another time. Uh, Wyoming won a game ahead of Colorado State in the loss column. By the way, Boise State. There's a two-point conversion for the Bengals. Uh, shouts to Adi Joseph. Don't know how this is going to go, but I know he'll be listening to this podcast. It would be really something if the Cincinnati Bengals go to the freaking Super Bowl. But who knows? Um, Boise State's won 14 straight. Still hasn't lost in the Mountain West. The other game to know on Monday, TCU, Oklahoma. Oklahoma got tipped over by Auburn, as expected. Uh, Sooners are 13-8, have that game on their home floor. As previously mentioned, TCU trying to work its way to a bid. Only been once have the Frogs since 1998. One NCAA tournament trip since 1998. A win there for TCU would put them in a great spot. Tuesday is loaded. Kansas at Iowa State at 7 Eastern. 
Jayhawks still atop the league, technically six and one mark. Iowa State is three and five in conference play, so winning the league is not going to happen, but still in a cozy spot for the tournament. Big opportunity at home, Hilton again, seven Eastern on Tuesday, and then two humongous games, nine Eastern. What I alluded to earlier in the podcast, Alabama plays at Auburn. Okay. You got Auburn, top of the sport, Bruce Pearl, just, you know, dominating life right now. And this could be a humongous, humongous game for Alabama in terms of if they win. Because right now, Bama had Baylor at Auburn, host Kentucky next Saturday. That might be the toughest three-game stretch any team has in the regular season. You have arguably top five Baylor, number one Auburn, and then Kentucky will be in the top ten when the polls refresh on Monday. What a stretch for the tide there. That's 9 o'clock Eastern. And then I don't know what we're starting with on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m., either Alabama-Auburn, or whatever happens between Texas and Texas Tech, 9 Eastern, Tuesday night. Now, do you got that photo I sent you before? The students have already started. Texas Tech destroyed Mississippi State on Saturday. The students went right from there to start camping out for this game. This, okay, listen. That, that, here's God bless any of these students that want to do this. Like, I, what, It makes no difference to me. I will say this. There it is. If you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> this is last night and the line's going to get five times as long. Go ahead. I've never been to a basketball game in my life that after it was over, I felt like it would have been worth sleeping outside for three days to go to it. But this is the college experience. Remember. You know, you're 19. You want to make a memory. This is cool. I will make a memory in my apartment. <laughs> I'm trying to make memories in my apartment. Okay. You guys, you guys go stay in line for a basketball game for three days. Me and your girlfriend will be in my apartment. Always comes back to premarital sex. Um, few thought that Texas Tech would actually be in this superior position the back in the preseason. We can acknowledge that, right? That, that when these when these teams played the, at the at the start of uh, end of January or start of February, that Texas Tech would be in the better position. That's what that's what it is. They have equal yeah. yeah, I know. I didn't expect that. Texas Tech has had the better season. There's no getting around that. Um, Hopefully, Texas Tech fans will treat Chris Beard the same way Texas fans treated Rick Barnes. <laughs> Not going to happen, but okay. <laughs> so here's where it's right now. The Red Raiders are like anywhere from three to six or seven spots ahead in, in many of the metrics. There's not that much separating the teams, but Texas Tech has been ranked. I think I think Texas will be ranked when the polls refresh. I don't know, but we'll see. Regardless, Texas Tech's had the better season. It is going to be a madhouse. Uh, they are going to be ruthless, but in all seriousness, like. I do hope that the vitriol remains at a healthy level. Like I don't want to be open in this podcast on Wednesday morning, talking about any kind of ugly scene that like came out of that building. Like, let's not have that. You can razz them, give them hell, but there's obviously a line. So I'm hoping that this can be a really fun game with an awesome ending. And we can talk about it, open the pod with that. And there's nothing bad that goes down because make no mistake about it. Like Texas tech fans are pissed at Chris Beard and have been from the moment he bolted on him to go to his alma mater, stay in the league, go to the bigger school. It is, it has left a taste in that fan base's mouth that they swear is never going to leave. So that's fine. I hope that this can build up a genuine, awesome rivalry that we can all rally around and cover. But I, I, I just really hopeful that the fan base doesn't go over the line. Cause I, I think there's a potential for that to happen. And frankly, everyone, the adults there, 
uh, need to uh, to make sure it doesn't get to that point and that there is proper precautions against this. Because, yeah, like there are a lot of people that I'm not saying this is logical. It's not. But there are people that are going to be at that game that like hate Chris Beard now <laughs> and not stand him and are reveling in the fact that Texas Tech is having a better season than Texas right now. Again, this is a Tuesday, 9 Eastern tip. And I hope it's a great one. And uh, we're talking about it for all the right reasons when we pot on Wednesday morning. This is where I have a breakdown with your typical fan, I guess. Because from my perspective, I'm like, Chris Beard did amazing things for you. He got your program to places it had literally never been. He um, set your current coach up to get the job and be successful. He, like, you should, you should uh, hang his name in your rafters as opposed to throw batteries at him. Um, but I understand most fans don't, they don't see it that way. Um, like my, like I'm a Mets fan. Noah Syndergaard could have stayed with the Mets. He decided to go play for the Angels. I don't hate him. <laughs> I just, I, I, I didn't. I have a Noah Syndergaard uh, like, uh, 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 like jersey. I didn't burn it. I just go. You know what? That's a man, and he had decisions to make, and he made the best one for he and his family. And I, I hope he, I hope he goes well for him. I, I just don't. I, that's the way. I, that's the way I'm wired. Um. And but I understand Texas Tech fans are not wired that way. Just like, you know, Memphis fans still hate John Calipari, even though he's the greatest coach in the history of the university. They hate him. They hate his guts for the most part. I, it's just hard for me to understand that. But what is easy for me to do is understand that that exists, that that's a thing. And Tuesday night in Lubbock is going to be wild. As we wrap, I feel compelled to fact check and correct myself. I thought that the game was 21 and 21 and they got the two pointer. It was going to put them up 23 21. In fact, the two pointer tied the game at 21. Mahomes on the run here. Start the fourth quarter. He's going, is he going deep? Third and three. Your Amazing. Football play by play is taking us over an hour. I we hope you it. realize that. No, no, wait, wait. You can get out of here in 40 seconds. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Shasta Devin Downey. Shasta Chester, South Carolina. Shasta. Logan Kosmowski, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. I ain't never, I ain't never seen one like this. Dead leg. Who's, winning this, who's winning this game? Five seconds. Who's winning this game? The team that's got Patrick Mahomes. I agree. I ain't never seen one like this. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a review at Apple Podcasts. There's more of us than there are of them. There's more of us than there are of them. Smash that like button. We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.